We'd like to open the Word this morning, and I invite you, if you would, to open to the book of Exodus. Exodus chapters 3 and 4. One of the questions that often is asked us is, well, how do you become a missionary? How do you know if God has called someone to be in some some type of Christian ministry? Or even more simply, how do I know what God's will is for my life? Now, many of us, many of you, uh, are at an age where it's probably not so much an issue as to what's in the future for you, but there are, there are still a few, of, few younger of you that might have that question in your mind. How do I know what God wants me to do? How do I know what His will is for me? I heard another preacher one time talking about this, and he made the comment, he said, when we say, when we ask the question, what does God want, want from me, what is, what is God's will for me, he said, that's the, wrong, that's the wrong question. The right question is, what is God's will, period. What is God's will? Now, uh, I've, I've entitled this uh, study here this morning, What's That in Your Hand?, What's that in your hand? I got a riddle for you, okay? What do these things have in common? A stick, a stone, some bread, and some fish. Okay, a stick, a stone, some bread, and some fish. Well, I don't really expect you to give an answer, but think about that for a second. The very first one we read about in Exodus chapter 4. Exodus 3 and 4, and we're not going to take the time to to read it extensively, but it talks about Moses and the call of Moses into the ministry. And in Exodus chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, we read, Then Moses answered and said, But suppose they will not believe me or listen to my voice. Suppose they say, The Lord has not appeared to you. So the Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? He said, A rod. Now what was this rod? Well, it was a stick, simply. (laughs) He was a shepherd, taking care of sheep in the wilderness. As you know the story, you know, the first 40 years of Moses, he was in in Egypt, being raised as the grandson of of the Pharaoh, probably receiving the best education possible in uh, in the world at that time. And now he's spent 40 years in the wilderness as a shepherd. And somewhere along the line, he picked up this stick that he was using for a rod or a staff. But all it was was just really some kind of stick. I don't know if he whittled on it or made a crook out of it or something like that. But it was, it was basically a stick, okay? And God says, Moses, he's, he's come up with all these excuses. But Lord, I can't do that. I can't speak. Um, I, I'm not talented, Lord. I don't, I don't have the wherewithal. Perhaps you've said the same type of thing in your own life. Been there, done that myself. Uh, I remember when I was fighting God's will in my life in regards to missions. Uh, You've probably all heard those testimonies. Lord, I'll do anything except... You heard those kind of testimonies before? Yeah, I'm one of them. Lord, I'll do anything except... Guess what my except was? I grew up on a missionary kid, remember that. Okay, I grew up a missionary kid. I grew up on the mission field. What what was my accept? Be a missionary. Uh Uh-uh. No, Lord. I'll do anything except. Now, 
when I finally yielded to the Lord after fighting him for about five years or so during these years because in my mind I was going to be an Olympic athlete. That was my goal. That was my, uh, my purpose in life. I wanted to become well-known. And so when, I finally, when the final, Lord finally won out and I said, okay, Lord, if that's what you want, then okay. I didn't have a lot of talent. Okay? Now, everybody knows that in order to be a missionary, a foreign missionary, you've got to be musical, you've got to be mechanical, you've got to be a builder, uh, and several other things. You've got to be able to do everything, a jack of all trades. Guess what my greatest ability was when God called me, when I finally said yes? I could play soccer and I could run well. Wow. That's really going to go a long way on the mission field, isn't it? What a talent. Lord, here it is. That's all I got. Sorry. Uh, my wife also is not musically inclined. How can you have a ministry without somebody that's, I don't know, something about music? Well, I've learned a, little, learned a little bit over the time. But anyway, back to Moses. Moses says, but Lord, not, I can't do this. I'm not talented. I'm not musical. I'm not mechanical. I'm, I'm not a builder. Lord, I'm introverted. I'm shy. I'm, I'm reserved. I don't relate well to other people. Lord, I'm pretty much a loner. Well, we could say that Moses was kind of a loner, wasn't he? Taking care of sheep out in the middle of nowhere, all by himself. I don't work well with others, Lord. I'm afraid God will ask me to do something that I don't like, that I'm incapable of, or it's just too difficult. Kind of a little bit what we see here from Moses. Here's another one. What will people think of me? But Lord, verse 1, suppose they will not believe me or listen to my voice. I'll be made fun of. I'll be ridiculed. I'll be rejected. And Lord, I don't think I can handle rejection. But Lord, what if I fail? I know I'm going to fail. What about my family, Lord? My children? I have to think about them too, don't I? You know, if I do this, then, you know, there's going to be sacrifice not just for me, but for my whole family. What about that? Sorry, Lord, it's just too great a sacrifice. You remember Isaiah, chapter 6, where God calls Isaiah... And God asks the question, who will go and who, who, shall I sit, who shall we send and who will go for us? And Isaiah says, Lord, I'm here, right here, send me. Well, Moses wasn't quite that way. <laughs> Moses was, Lord, here I am, send him. <laughs> or send her. He actually did end up, you know, saying that kind of thing. And God said, okay, well, here's Aaron, your brother, I'll send him along with you. And we know how that ended, uh, at least a couple of situations that Aaron caused some problems there. But maybe you can identify a little bit with some of these things. Okay, so God says to, Abraham, says to, to Moses, what's that in your hand? He says, it's a stick. Well, you know what, what happened after that, right? Threw it down, became a snake, he then picked it up. That stick 
became quite useful during his wilderness wanderings. He used it to open the Red Sea. Now, of course, it wasn't actually him that opened it or the stick. He brought water from the rock with that stick, with that rod. Now, there's a little interesting aspect about this. It wasn't actually, the stick in and of itself did not do any of that. It needed a hand to wield it. And that hand had to be attached to a physical body with a willingness to obey God. Now, what about the stone? Think of a stone in the Bible that was used to slay somebody. Another little shepherd boy. What was this guy's name? David. When he came up against who? Goliath. Just a stone. But God used that, didn't he? Now, yes, it required a hand to wield the slingshot. What about the bread and the fish? New Testament. Hint. What does that remind you of? The feeding of the 5,000. Uh, Andrew finds this little boy with a lunch with a few loaves and some fish and in uh, the book of John I believe it is Andrew comes to the Lord and says well Lord we found this this little little lad here with this little bit of fish but what is that among so many Lord (laughs) what can we do with that okay Andrew sit down there or actually, don't sit down there. Here, let's uh, distribute these. And you know what happens there, right? How do we know what God's will is? Well, I'd like to suggest three simple principles uh, this morning. These are not new with me, all right? Uh, Nothing new under the sun, as Solomon once said. And so some of this comes from other sources, but I hope that these principles will help us to better be able to answer what does God want, what is God's will, what is God's will in general. First of all, the first principle is commitment comes first, confirmation second. Commitment first, confirmation second. Now there are a couple instances, including Moses here, where uh, after all these excuses Moses gives, God makes... Uh, makes his call, he confirms his call by saying, okay, you know, let me show you a few miracles here. And he confirmed that. Uh, one other person in the Bible that we can think of is Gideon, where, God, where Gideon asked God to prove that he was really called to do what God wanted him to do. But in most cases, that's not how God operates. We often want to reverse the order. We want God to confirm things first, and then we'll decide whether or not we want to go through with it. We want to obey God. We want God sort of, we might say, part the waters first, and then I'll decide whether or not I want to obey Him and follow Him. If we focus on God's confirmation first, we will probably never make a commitment. Now, I know speaking kind of in general terms here, when we talk about the God's will, it's, it's a pretty broad subject, pretty broad, broad subject. 
Okay, so we're just touching on, on a small aspect of this. But one of the main areas that God wants from us is commitment. Whether we serve Him in a full-time capacity, such as a pastor or a missionary, or simply are serving in the church in some capacity or other, or serving our family or serving our community, and we're doing it for the Lord, there's still, there's still a required a commitment to that. And oftentimes, we want God to write something in the sky. You know, we've heard that illustration before. Lord, put it out there, write, you know, black and white for me so I can know for sure that this is what you want me to do. Interesting that during the 40 years that, the, that Israel was in the wilderness, uh, the only time that they picked up their camp and moved was when the cloud moved. If the cloud stayed in place, they stayed in place. It might be a day or two, it might be a week, it might be a month, it might be a year or two. But they had, they had something visible that showed them when it was time to move. Sometimes we want God to have something visible. It wasn't until Moses said, I will go, and actually got up and started his journey, it wasn't until that moment that God showed him, and if I can borrow uh, another small phrase from the book of Isaiah, this is the way, walk in it. Go with me a few verses ahead in Exodus chapter 4, and look at verses 18 and 19. So Moses went and returned to Jethro, this is after all of this discussion and argumentation and excuses that he offered to God. Moses went and returned to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, Please let me go and return to the brethren who are in Egypt and see whether they are still alive. And Jethro said to him, Go in peace. Now the Lord said to Moses in Midian, Go, return to Egypt, and all the men who sought your life are dead. Then Moses took his wife and his son and set them on a donkey, and he returned to the land of Egypt, and Moses took the rod of God in his hand. So Moses finally yielded said, Okay, Lord, I'll trust you. I'll do this. But he had to actually get up and start. All right? So here he starts. The fact that he has taken that step is a sign that he has committed himself. He has made that commitment. The second principle is obedience first, new instruction second. Obedience first, new instruction second. One of the reasons we do not have we ourselves today do not have more divine guidance in regards to certain details about our life is that we have not followed the instruction that God has already given us in His Word. Let me illustrate, okay? You say you want, sky, you want writing in the sky. Well, it won't be in the sky, but it'll be in a book. 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 3 says, and I kid you not, it says, this is the will of God. It states it. Isn't it great when we find passages like that? This is what God wants me to do. This is the will of God. In this case, your sanctification. You're being set apart from sin, set apart for God. 1 Peter 2.15, by doing good, you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. Now, it doesn't say this is the will of God, but it says by doing good, this is what will happen. That's God's will, doing good. Micah 6.8, what does the Lord require of you? Or in other words, what is God's will for you? 
but to do justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly with your God. Now some of these you're acquainted with. But that's God's will, stated very clearly. Philippians 2, 5-11, through won't read the whole passage, but let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. And it goes on to talk about having a humble mind, even as Christ did in coming to earth as our Savior. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Probably everybody, almost everybody here could probably quote that. Present your bodies. Do not be conformed. Be transformed. Now, I'm summarizing it here, okay? You probably can fill in the blanks, but at least three things are mentioned here. Present your bodies, okay? How was the stick going to be used of God if it didn't have a body to lift it? How was the stone going to be used to defeat the enemy without a hand to, to throw it? Be not conformed to this world. Be transformed. Why? That you may know or prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect, guess what? Will of God. Ephesians 5.16, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of God is. How do I understand what the will of God is? Pick this up and read it. If you walk in the light that I've already given you, then I will give you more. Now, as a junior in college, after fighting God for so many years, and I said, okay, Lord, if that's what you want, I'm willing. That was the commitment that he was waiting for. And that was deciding, yes, I will be obedient. And as far as the future, the details of the future, I'm going to leave that with God. 1 Thessalonians 4, I've already mentioned this. Let me read it a little more extensively. Brethren, we urge and exhort in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more, just as you receive from us, how you ought to walk and to please God. For you know what commandments we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For God did not call us to uncleanness, but to holiness, who has also given us his Holy Spirit. So, two things that we can learn from this. One is... He's given us His Word, and He's given us His Holy Spirit, who takes His Word and applies it in our lives. The third principle is routine requirements first, great responsibilities second. Now, there's a passage in Matthew 23, verses 23 and 24, where Christ is talking to the religious leaders of His day, and He gets pretty bold. He makes some pretty strong statements here. I would have loved to have been present for this. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law. What are the weightier matters of the law? Justice and mercy and faith. These, the weightier matters, you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. Blind guides who strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. I love that picture. <laughs> Can you try to, somebody straining? I, I once swallowed a, a horse fly while I was out running cross country one time, and it's a horrible feeling. <laughs> I can't imagine trying to eat a, swallow a camel. But you know, what is Christ saying here to these leaders? Well, you need both. You need both the common, the mundane, the everyday personal stuff. And the bigger stuff, 
the responsibilities. Things which include and affect others' lives spiritually, both of these are essential. Care must be given to neither neglect the weightier, bigger matters or place too much focus on the smaller matters, which is what the religious leaders were doing. They were so concerned with the little tiny things. You know, you've got to divide this up just right. And forgetting the foundation. <laughs> we could say that they, they were committing two, two big errors. They were categorizing and they were comparing. Been there, done that. I'm sure nobody else here has ever done anything like that. Categorizing and comparing may cause us to view certain things as too mundane, too insignificant, as compared to something else, and thus overlook or neglect that something else. Now, where am I getting with this? Look back here in Exodus chapter 4, and look at verse 24. Okay, we just read uh, 20 and 21, where, or 19 and 20, where he's, he's on his way to, to Egypt. Now, verse 24, And it came to pass on the way, on the way where? To Egypt. Who? Moses and his family. At the encampment that the Lord met him, Moses, and sought to what? Kill him. Whoa! Hold on a second. God just went through all this big thing with Moses about, you know, why he had called him, and now he's trying to kill Moses? What's the deal? Well, without going into a lot of detail, the next few verses explain that Moses had two sons. One of them had not been had not undergone the covenant uh, requirement of circumcision, which was required by all, all, the, all the Jewish people, all the nation of Israel. Now, Moses may have t- overlooked it. May, he may have thought it was uns- insignificant. It was something small. I mean, he's, he's on his way back to Egypt to free the nation of Israel from, from slavery. That's a biggie. Circumcision? Eh, not so much. But this eh was pretty important to God (laughs) to the point where he sought to kill Moses because he had failed to obey in following one of the covenant requirements. It's not an either-or situation, but a both-and situation. We have to learn to balance. We have to learn to understand that it's both things, whether it's the big things or the little things. What was Jesus' point when he's criticizing the hypocrites here in Matthew? Well, Jesus' point was not to condemn their observance of the law's finer points, which they were doing. The problem was that they neglected the weightier matters. The moral principle underlying all their laws and their traditions. In fact, they had created certain traditions that they had places of higher authority than the actual law. They were satisfied with their focus on the incidentals and the externals, that which other men could see and say, Oh, aren't they spiritual? Look at them. Wow. But they willfully resisted the spiritual meaning of the law, the underlying He told them that they should have concentrated on those larger issues without leaving the others undone. Both and. 
the everyday stuff as well as the big stuff that God directs us to do. Routine requirement first, great responsibility second. I probably should change that a little bit and say both. (laughs) Great responsibilities do not cancel out routine requirements. A very simple illustration is reading God's Word daily. Oh, come on, Pastor. We have to go there again. Every, every speaker says, you know, are you reading your Bible daily? Are you feeding yourself spiritually? Or are you just waiting till Sunday to get, you know, your fill for the week? Well, okay. Uh, if you're that type of person, then I suggest that for the next week until next Sunday, you not eat anything. All right? Don't eat anything. Just go with whatever you eat today and see how that goes for you. You say, come on, you know that doesn't work. Well, (laughs) it works as far as beginning God's Word. So what what am I supposed to do with all this? What, What are you getting at with all this? Well, I've shared a little bit about my own life in the process. If I had time, I'd go into a little more detail, but... Just some suggestions for you to consider. First of all, determine to live your daily lives in humble obedience and submission to God's already revealed will. If we took God's Word and started writing down those areas, and we just mentioned a few here this morning, those areas where God said, this is what I want you to be doing on a regular basis, daily. To summarize, we could say living in humble obedience day by day. That's God's already revealed will. If we would focus on that, we wouldn't have to worry about what's ahead. Serve God where you're at. Now, I'm sure that's a number of you, and before the service, I appreciated some uh, uh, the the mission committee introducing themselves to me and so on and so forth. Praise God for those in the church that are serving. Now, you might be uh, one of those, like Moses said, well, you know, <laughs> that's not me, I can't do that. But, you know, if, if by some chance the Lord might convict your heart and, and you say, well, you know, maybe I should be doing something in the church. Here's a, here's a suggestion. Now, this might be really difficult for you, okay? But if, if by some chance God is convicting you and you think, well, no matter what age you're at, you're thinking, you know, maybe I can do something in the church. Go to your pastor. And say, Pastor, I'd like to do something in the church. What can I do? Well, after he's recovered from his heart attack, or after he picks himself off off the ground, I'm sure that he can make some suggestions. You got any ideas already, Pastor? (laughs) Putting him on the spot now. Serve God where you're at. Right here, right now. All right? Part of the problem is we think, well, you know, that's something in the future yet. No, start here, start now. Start here, start now. Another idea, submit whatever you have in your hand. What what do you have in your hand? Now, metaphorically speaking, or it could be literally, I don't know. You know, when I said, Lord, you know, I'm a good runner. You know, that's, how are you going to use that in the ministry? Well, he didn't exactly use that other than to make a few contacts, you know. But, In athletics, there's a little bit of discipline involved. 
as you train, as you prepare, and as you persevere. <laughs> uh, I was a hurdler. In uh, five years of hurdling, I hit, I hit a hurdle and fell down one time. I got up and finished the race. This was in Arkadelphia, Arkansas, in June of 1973, freshman in college. I got up and I finished. I persevered. You may not have a lot to offer the Lord, but that's okay. Give Him what you got. As little or as great as it is, give Him what you got and watch and see what He does with that. Trust your future to God. Now that's a toughie. <laughs> that's easy to say, isn't it? Trust your future to God. Pray that He will control your circumstances, your attitudes, your contacts. You know, God uses other people. Did you know that? God uses other people in our lives. Our actions, our reactions, our everyday life experiences. If we allow God to work in and through them, it's amazing how God molds us and prepares us. Be careful not to compare or compete. Now, I am a competitor by nature. Duh, I wonder where that came from. <laughs> and during the years we were in Brazil, involved in church planning, we had some of our fellow colleagues that started, you know, a couple churches in a five, six, eight-year period. And for 20 years, we worked on establishing one church. And there were times where I said, Lord, what's wrong with me? And I'll look at my colleagues, look at what they're doing. Look at the success, quote-unquote, that they're having. We are not called by God to compare ourselves with others. And that's a trap. Or to compete with others and say, well, you know, look at their ministry, man. Things are going so well and we're over here struggling. Be careful. Be careful. God chose you to do something specific. It may not be as big as what your friend over here is doing, but it's still a necessary thing. And of course, uh, the last item I have on my list, and this is not an extensive list, we could probably add many other things, but be moldable. Be moldable. Be teachable. One of the saddest things that can happen in the life of any Christian is when we get to the place in our lives, as we get a little older and we say, ah, I've heard it all, I know it all, you can't teach me anything new. Ah, that's a problem. <laughs> it can't be a problem. <laughs> The moment we think we can't learn anything new, they better just go ahead and dig a six-foot hole and stick us in it. <laughs> uh, we need to be teachable. We need to be moldable. We need to allow God to mold us into what He wants us to be. Now, our years of ministry are, in, in the sense of full-time, are coming to a close as far as uh, missionary work, full-time. I will be 70 in a couple of years, and our mission board uh, highly recommends retirement at that point. Um, I hope that God will allow me to continue to serve Him in some capacity after that. But once in the ministry, always in the ministry, <laughs> really. You never leave, you never totally leave. But, you know, God has called each of us. Not, not, God hasn't called everybody to be a pastor, to be a missionary, be a missionary wife. But God has called everybody to be a servant. 
be a servant, to, be a, to have a servant's heart. And that's something that is totally foreign in our world today, isn't it? Serve? Are you kidding me? But that's what God has called us to. You say, well, you know, I just don't know. Well, take some of these things, think about them, pray over them. See what, if there's something that God would have you to do a little bit more. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying that, you know, God is going to call you into the mission field. Especially if you're a little bit older, like some of us. Um, but God still has a place for service. Even if it's just in our home, we still have a place to serve God, and He has a place for us. What's in your hand? What you got in your hand? It may be something so simple, and yet God can use it. We used to have a, a, a plaque in our, hanging in our bedroom in Brazil said, the, the, the grace of God... The will of God will never leave you where the grace of God cannot keep you. And I might add to that where he will not enable you. If God calls you to do something and you don't think you can do it, that's okay. Just take that little bit you have, trust it into his care, and watch him use it and expand it. Gracious Father, thank you for the privilege that is ours to be called the children of God. And also, Lord to be able to serve you faithfully each and every day. I pray that we might endeavor to do that this day as we seek to serve others and serve you. Help us to be faithful in doing those things which have been revealed clearly to us in your word. And as we endeavor to fulfill those things, you will guide us into more details in regards to what you would have us to do. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.